So anticipation. I had a hard time figuring out what scripture I wanted to preach on today. I looked at all kinds of ones. In fact, um, would look at this one for a while and discard it and look at that one for a while and discard it. And then I just kind of dropped open my Bible to this page. And you'll see where this perfectly fits anticipation. From Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 55. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Hear Mary's response. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowest of his servants. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. According to the promise he made to our ancestors, Abraham and his descendants forever. May God grant us understanding of these words this day. So what does it mean to anticipate something? You anticipate something. What does that mean to you? I looked at Webster's Dictionary, and it says a feeling of excitement about something that is going to happen. And also, at the same time, the act of preparing for something. You know, the, I'm going to have company, so I'm preparing the house for that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm anticipating a need, and I'm filling that need. That kind of action. As we begin this walk into Advent, both definitions are true. We are anticipating with excitement something happening, and we're getting ready for something to happen. Both things are true equally. We have excitement and we have preparation. So what do you anticipate? What are you excited about? 
hold that thing in your mind for just a moment. For me, I anticipated having all my children and grandchildren home for Thanksgiving. My husband and I have four adult children, two are married, um, and all together we have five grandchildren and we were together. My daughter Sarah and I cleaned house. We organized, we planned meals, you know, those things that you do to get ready. We were excited and we got things ready. You know, you might anticipate a vacation. You might anticipate having a new job. You might anticipate the birth of a child. And there's lots of preparation needed for that, you guys know. On this first Sunday in Advent, I acknowledge that this is a familiar story. You've probably heard it multiple times before. But I want to point out that in the scripture, there's actually anticipation for two babies, not just one. For Elizabeth is with child as well. And you know that that child grows up to be John the Baptist. And so there's this anticipation of two babies coming in for Mary and for Elizabeth. This is one of those stories that we kind of take out and dust off about once a year. This time of year, we look at this story again. It's part of the rhythm of our church year. But one of the problems of doing that is that we know how it all comes out. We know the kind of the end of the story. It's not anything that we haven't heard before. Can you imagine hearing this story if you've never heard what comes after? How would the story be different for you if you didn't know what happened after this? If we could take this story and put it in a void and that would be the story of the day, would it be different for you if you didn't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, if you didn't know that he would grow up and be the one who led a revolution? And also, would it be different if you didn't know that the cross was coming and that three days would happen and then the resurrection would happen? Would this story in its little box feel different to you if you didn't know all that stuff? I wonder. I wonder. You see, for Elizabeth and Mary, that's exactly what this was. They didn't know exactly what would be happening. The angel told them a few things, but they certainly didn't know the hows and the whys of that story. The only things that, ha that had happened to this point is the angel Gabriel met with Zachariah and later with Elizabeth. And 
Mary also had an angel visitation and she was told that she would be pregnant and that it would happen in a certain way. So they know kind of that much of the story. When this story opens, there's a few things that we need to know about Mary. Mary is pledged to Joseph. That means that she had formerly formally agreed to marry him. Between the pledge and the marriage feast, there was probably at least six months, if not more. So this is kind of that time between. She said yes, and of course her parents had something with arranging this marriage. And then before the marriage happened, this happened. And just before this scripture, as I said, Gabriel has extended his astounding invitation. Mary has given her her astonishing yes. And now she's alone. Entirely, dangerously alone in that culture except for the baby that she carries. In that culture, women in Mary's circumstance would have been stoned to death. She was in a very precarious position and very, very alone and very, very young. You know, in that time, the time that a a woman became betrothed, they were somewhere between 13 and 14 years old. At the outside, it might have been 16, but it's probably more like the 13, 14. And she finds herself in this place, in this world where she could die for that. And so she does the only thing that she knows how to do she flees to her kinswoman, toward refuge, toward sanctuary. Zechariah and Elizabeth were much older than Mary. Nevertheless, Mary had heard that Elizabeth was expecting a child from the angel. And they lived in this hill country, which was a a five-day journey away on a very dangerous road. It was common to run into thieves or worse on that road. And Mary made that journey. She felt it was important to make that journey because I think, and this is me putting into the story, I think she knew that Elizabeth would understand her circumstance in ways that no one else could. We're not told that specifically at this point in the story, but you know, I think that, that Elizabeth, with her story of being, in, being older, being beyond the childbearing years, and then suddenly being pregnant in a time where that just didn't happen with older women, that, that Mary knew Elizabeth was carrying a special child, I think that would have drawn Mary to her, don't you? 
Don't you think that that would have pulled Mary to her enough that she would risk that road, that trip? And what happens then is that Elizabeth gives witness to the importance of Mary's child. You know, I wonder if Mary would have, would have wondered, did this really happen? Could this possibly be as the angel had said? And Elizabeth said, oh, yeah, it definitely happened. And your child is so important. And it's after she gets that validation from Elizabeth that Mary goes into what we know as Mary's song, that she's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. This song is kind of prophetic and and beautiful and foreshadowing and all of those things that we might think of that kind of thing to be. And she is a part of that. And she has been invited into anticipation and preparation. And she has said, yes, I'm in. Yes, I will. Here I am. Send me. We've heard that before, haven't we? She's put herself into this place where she will do this work. She will be part of this effort. So what would that work of God look like? Now, you need to pretend that you don't know the end of the story. But I think that she would have an inkling that that work was revolutionary, that that work would change the world, that work that's a fulfillment of promises that were given years ago. You know, when you look at her song, she talks about the rich and the powerful being brought low those living on the margins will be raised up. And in today's world, that doesn't quite fit with our culture. But you have to understand that Mary wasn't rich. The word handmaiden in that story, when it talks about Mary being the handmaiden, is actually the word servant. Mary was poor. Mary was poor. Mary knew what it was like to be in the margins. Mary knew what it was like to not have everything she needed. And she knew what it was like to work very hard. And Mary had this vision, this song that talked about that kind of power being overcome. And that would have resonated really powerfully with the poor of that time. And I think that that can resonate with the power with the poor today, that, that idea that power and powerfulness is turned on its side. Isn't 
that something we heard Jesus say? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. All of those things. These were people who were under Roman occupation. They were ruled by Herod Antipas, who was harsh and cruel. They were an oppressed people. And Mary reminds them and us that God is not on the sides of tyrants. God is on the side of the ordinary people like you and like me. These people that we're talking about in the story have been waiting a long, long time for deliverance. Way back, <laughs> way back. And Mary, sweet Mary, is the one to bring that hope. It begins with this very young peasant girl who said yes, who said yes to this huge life-saving task, collaborating with God to change the world. And I love that that change came through a very tiny baby from an ordinary person, an ordinary person who said yes. And at the same time, I love that Mary didn't have to do this alone. Elizabeth was there for her. It doesn't escape my notice at all that Elizabeth and Mary were very different people. You know, that generation to generation, they were different. Elizabeth was part of the priestly family through Zechariah, her husband. Mary was a servant. They came from different generations, from different life situations, and different lifestyles. And yet, they were able to help each other. They were able to bring that anticipation and that hope to each other. So amazing to think in those terms. As we enter into this season where we simply wait. I'm so glad that we have each other. We are not alone in our waiting. We can dig deep together. We can open our hearts together to the wonders of Christmas. Even, even as we show the world that we anticipate the coming of the Christ child, even as we give gifts to a family that we've adopted, even as we put ornaments on our tree, even as we pray together, even then. As we continue on this Advent journey together, may we be aware of God's presence and God's peace as we simply wait 
for the light to shine during this season. Oh, may it be so. Oh, God, may it be so. Amen.